Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, we've already first started working on as, as we go through all of this. And, and if you're listening to this on a podcast, we want to say thank you and, and welcome. We're glad you're listening. I had uh, somebody from Australia tell me that um, he had listened to a wonderful message and it transformed his life. And he told me to make sure to tell my wife that. So my friend, Dr. Roger Skirka, I got you covered, buddy. So he'll hear this. Um, so we've talked already about one of the main problems of having sin and how it's rooted to the original sin in the Bible, Adam and Eve eating an apple, remember? By the way, we don't know if it was an apple. It could have been a pineapple for all we know. It just says fruit. We always say apple. Isn't that interesting? Now, we learned about that, but also one of the biggest problems of sin is that it literally separates us from God. It alienates us away from God. How many here would be willing to be honest with the rest of the world and say, I was a sinner and I backslid for a period of my time or my life? And, and you know that. Okay, raise your hands. Okay, the rest of you, you're lying. God bless you. We understand. Now, here's the truth. When I'm sinning, when you're sinning, you want to know what happens? We're going to pretend Miguel is God. And all of a sudden, we know it's just for illustration purpose. <clears throat> when that happens and I'm sinning, I now all of a sudden feel a distance and I avoid and stay away. How many know when you've ever betrayed a person or you let them down or you did something you know you shouldn't have done, whether it was the coach, the teacher, your mom, your dad, or somebody you cared and loved, when that happened, there was something between you and you had to pull away. You felt alienated. You didn't want to be in their presence. Did God move? Who moved? I did. The person who sins is moving farther and farther away. See, that's the problem of sin. It alienates me from the very thing I want to be in. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They hid themselves. They put on fig leaves. What ultimately happened? They were alienated. They were kicked out of the garden where they had fellowship with God in the cool of the day every day. You see that? Sin is the enemy. Sin lies to us and says it's worth it. How many have found out sin has never been worth it? And the rest of you, you will. <laughs> Amen? Here's the frightening reality of this arrangement about sin. We're all sinners. My name is Marvin Telemontis. I have a title called Pastor, Reverend. They used to call me Rev in Iowa. I loved it. It was cool. Hey, Rev! But you know, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. And those special people in your life, did you know that they're sinners? Did you know those people you're sitting next to? 
they're sinners. And here's the most mind-boggling one. You, I know, and they're all going, I totally agree with that one. And the truth is, so are you. You are a sinner. And it's not my opinion. Let's look at what it says in, in Romans chapter 3. We'll start at verse 23. And it says, for everyone, is there an exception? For everyone has sinned. No, 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 let's start over again. But this time, with a little bit more dramatic flair, will you help me read this? Ready? Begin. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. All of us have experienced the pain of sin, the pain of alienation, the pain of a broken relationship with God. See, this isn't opinion that I just shared with you. The Scriptures are telling us this is what sin does. How many have experienced that because of sin done to you or done to somebody else, that there was pain? We all know that answer. The reality is that everyone is a sinner. That concept is foundational to the truth of the Word of God, to the gospel, to Christianity. There are too many churches who don't want to talk about the, the three-letter S word, and I'm not talking about sex. They're talking about sin. Nobody wants to talk about it in churches. Why? It hates my feelings. And what does mom and dad said? I don't care. Why? Because I want you to take that castor oil. Why? It's going to be good for you. Give you that ugly medicine. Tastes horrible. Why did they say cherry? That's not cherry. How come a parent will give a child some gross tasting stuff because they know that medicine can make them better as your pastor as i talk about sin i'm not talking about sin to condemn to make you feel horrible but rather to cause you to grow to set you free so that you would be in deep relationship with god that you would find freedom from sin. Catch a difference? Don't take the message of sin as somebody attacking and, and coming from a, a position of anger. Let's remind you of something. I'm a sinner, not just you. We all are. It's incredibly important when it comes to the idea of salvation that you see if a person doesn't realize and admit that there's something out of order, that, that something is wrong inside of us, that something is causing a person to sin to their own demise, then there can be absolutely no understanding, no motivation to seek out a solution because they don't recognize that there is a problem. Before anybody became a Christian, did you ever notice they just kept doing the same silly thing? And everybody on the outside is like going, why are you keep doing that? 
Why, why are you like that in relationships? Why are you going from job to job to job to job? Why can't you keep work? See, something's not right on the inside. And that's the hard part. That's why God says we have to acknowledge. We have to admit that. But if we can't admit that, if we can't acknowledge that, if we can't see that, then there's no motivation, there's no understanding for change or look for a solution. There's no understanding that I have a lack of knowledge. What what does Hosea Hosea say about that? In chapter 4, verse 6, he says this, My people are destroyed for a lack of... Knowledge. Knowledge. Not a lack of going to church. Not a lack of being religious. Lack of knowledge. You want to know what the most powerful item in act of war is? Is it the nuclear bomb? Is it the atomic bomb? You want to know what the most powerful item is in war? It's information. It's knowledge. What good is having all the weapons of warfare if you don't know where the enemy is and what they're doing, when they're doing it, how they're doing it, how much of what they got? Do they have resources? Do they have fuel? What do they have? And if you don't have that intelligence, if you don't have that knowledge, my people perish for a lack of. We are in a spiritual war right now. Every single day. And if you're not aware that the enemy of your soul is coming after you and he doesn't want you to know that he's coming after you. Right now we're in an informational war. <laughs> I, 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 I thought it's just so, so angry that it's all, almost so funny. So you're sitting there watching some particular newscast and they tell you about the votes of the, of the recall and they say, hey, look. Um, here's the big number for the guy winning. And within a flash of a blink of an eye, boom, you saw the number just dropped in half. And you go, what just happened? Informational war. Something's not right. So what happens in a lack of knowledge is I have to trick you. I have to twist you. That's what the enemy of my soul does. He's always twisting me tricking me why so he can cause me to be alienated not only from god but from the body of christ i get so frustrated you know what i do i just shut down i can't trust anything or anybody so i just pull away from everything i don't talk to family i don't talk to friends i just really kind of push away from it all because i just don't trust i got news for you You can always trust Jesus. He doesn't lie. God doesn't lie. People say a lot of things about God that are lies, but he's not a liar. He's always kept his promises, and he always will. Right? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's right. That's right. See, finding the, ad, the, the problem, especially when a person's unaware that they have sin or that they, that they refuse to acknowledge that they're a sinner. This is, this is like a person driving a vehicle on a highway at a high rate of speed and have no idea that one of the back tires is almost flat. 
and about ready to blow. Not only is that hazardous, but it could be fatal. When I have sin in my life and I don't want to acknowledge it, I'm literally driving down my life's road at 150 miles an hour and I have no idea that there's a part of me that's about to blow. It's hazardous. And the enemy wants you to to think, oh, all they are is judgmental. Is it judgmental when, when somebody's telling you, slow down? Somebody speeds up and they're honking at you and they're pointing at your tires and you just want to speed up even more. It's like the pastor trying to tell you, there's a problem. Slow it down. Come to Christ. He'll fill it up. He'll make the vehicle safe. He'll make your life safe again. He'll make it purposeful, meaningful. This is why the the gospel message is such good news for all those who would listen and believe. Maybe you've heard this verse once or twice before. It's out of the book of John. And it says, maybe you can say it with me. Ready, begin. For God so loved the world. Let me tell you what is so dramatic about this verse, and maybe you know it, but if you don't, I pray God will just cause it to just be engraved on your heart. He is doing something that the Jewish religious leaders did not do during this time. Good good exegetical study when you go into the Bible, you really got to say, what was it like at that time when this was written? What was happening? The religious leaders of that day, they always talked about things in the context of who they were because of Abraham. It was about us being a group exclusive from everybody else who are considered Gentile. And Jesus has the audacity to turn around and says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now, what's the next part? That whosoever... That is that whosoever is not a group. Jesus flipped it on its head. He didn't make it about a group. He made it about you. He made it about you. He made it personal about you. It's not your nationality. I'm adopted. I don't know all my nationality. I'm full bred mutt. Doesn't matter. For whosoever believes. Wow. That must have made the room silent. They had never seen and heard that kind of conversation. They had never heard a speech like that. Jesus changed it all for the whole world, but for every individual. Not just the continent of Asia, not just for the Jewish people, not only for the men and not the women and the children, not just for all the nice people and churchy people, or just for the educated people. For everyone and for each one. 
Christ did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He rescued us from sin and death. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. We'll start at verse 1 and 8. And Paul, he just, he's so full of great theology. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, did you catch how he's speaking? Since we, did you catch how he's speaking? We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems. What? Did you? Don't just walk over these words, guys. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. Everybody say amen. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Give it to me, Jesus. What? For we know that they help us develop endurance. Uh-oh. And endurance develops strength and character, and character strength and confidence, hope, hope, hope of salvation. And this hope will lead, will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Not the Germans, not the Chinese, not the Americans, not the Jews, but the sinner. Not the Presbyterian, not the Pentecostal, not the Nazarene, not the Catholic. Sinners. Sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who was especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still, say it with me, sinners. sinners. Now, this is an amazing passage passage of scripture paul lays out a lot of different truths related to how jesus saves us from his sins but but i want to really highlight some some of those things that relate to how jesus rescued humanity three in particular number one the timing When, when jesus came down from heaven to save us paul just tells us it was at the right it was perfect timing he came down in the middle of our chaos. This is when the Romans were oppressing the Jews. They were losing hope in their faith. They, they thought, forget it, the Messiah, the Christ, is not coming. They were losing it. They were giving up that, that is God real? Or was that just some ancient story stuff? The body of Christ, a bunch of people who aren't even here. 
and maybe in this room as well, are slowing down and wondering, where's God? What's happening? I don't understand. Because we don't comprehend the timing of God. This one I struggle with. Because I want to give God my watch. Because His is clearly broken. He's not doing it when I need it, when I want it. And, and the timing is so critical. Hello? And God is saying, the perfect timing. In the scope of eternity, I dropped that baby right when it needed to happen. And you know, God's doing something right here, right now upon this globe. They tell me that the church in Afghanistan is flourishing right now. I can't understand. God, where are you? But he's doing something. Just because these eyes can't see the hand of God doesn't mean the hand of God isn't reaching out and doing something. His timing is perfect. His timing is is perfect. God, how come we're not a bigger church than what we... God, I'm pastor's preaching better than he's ever preached before. His timing. It's not a person's skill set. It's his timing. It's our willingness to pray and to believe even when it doesn't look the way we want it to look. When Jesus rolled on the scene, it was chaos. Don't you understand that Mary was accused of probably being raped by a Roman soldier? Do you understand the oppression? You know, I was, I was blessed to give my heart to the Lord when I was a little child. I was about seven years old. And this was when salvation for my sin took place in my life. It was in a little garage my mom and a friend of hers did a little vacation Bible school for the neighborhood. And I remember sitting at this little kitty table. And when they did the little flannel board, and then they offered us to give our life to Jesus, something tingling happened on me. I didn't know what it was, but I knew something was changing. And I prayed the words that my mom's friend asked us to pray. And I'll never forget that day. I got saved. And my sin doesn't own me anymore. But it was in my teens that I realized that I needed to start focusing on sanctification. This is not to be confused with salvation. Salvation is receiving Jesus Christ because I'm a sinner and I'm saved by grace and because of the blood of Jesus and Him and Him alone. Sanctification is completely different. I realize that my daily battles with fighting temptation and sin in my life had everything to do with me saying I need the Holy Spirit. I need God to come into my life to help me to fight the daily battles of darkness. 
that my core values, that the way I think, that the way I move and have my being, all of that has to be impacted by the Holy Spirit in my life daily. And without that, I'm going to fail. And before you know it, I'm going to backslide. This is not my interpretation of some guy named Michael Jackson. Backsliding. Because I didn't take the effort for sanctification. God loved us enough to save us by the blood of Jesus. That's salvation. And God loves us enough to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to fight the good fight. That's sanctification. We have to work on that. No, I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror and I often see my own sin, I see my own brokenness, and I think to myself, why in all of the earth would the Lord love me? But that's one of the most crucial factors in God's display of love. He loved us even though we were broken and sinful. He loves you in spite of you. See, that's the story of Christ's redemption. So again, to highlight related to Jesus' rescue of humankind, mankind. Here, here's another one, number two, transform through trials. The second incredible thing about Christ's rescue is that the transformation took place during and through a season of problems, of trials, of suffering and pain. Let's look at Romans 5. We'll start verses 3 and 4. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. That just seems nutty, doesn't it? For we know that they help us. See, that's the, that's the shift of going from immaturity to maturity. That there's something brilliant in the plan of God. And when you begin to understand, you will be able to rejoice and not make excuse and justification for our immaturity because we're facing trials and tribulations. For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. This is a powerful sequence that Paul lays out for us when it comes to those times of struggle and trials. You see, in this life, the Bible makes it very clear that we will experience numerous trials. Has anybody recently faced a trial? How about just yesterday? Pastor, this morning. Hmm. God uses each and every one of them to strengthen our faith. Every trial is an opportunity to grow and to develop and to build our confidence in Jesus. Listen to what James says. James chapter 1, 2, and 3. Dear brothers and sisters. Who's he talking to? Everybody. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. What's wrong with these guys? Paul says the same thing, and now James is saying the same thing? 
For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. It's time to mature up, child of God. There seems to be something about hard times that we face that when we pass through them, that in some cases we're going to have scars. In other cases, we see differently. I got some people fanning. Maybe we can turn the air on. That would be great. But, and if we choose to draw close to God in it all, we grow and we grow and we grow. And now we can do things that can help others because we went through something and we know that what they're going through is very similar to what we went through. Have you ever had a life experience and you talk to somebody and you go, hey, I get it. How many times have you talked to somebody and they look at you and they said, I get you. Okay, you don't even have to explain. I really do get it. And they said, I, I went through something like this. Now, it's not your thing, but it sure is similar. And I know what that feels like. You're okay, you're not crazy. So sometimes that scar is your opportunity to minister to somebody else who went through what you've gone through. And you can be a blessing. And you can help them not make the same mistakes that you might have made and you wish you hadn't said, wish you hadn't done, if you would have known what you know now all this time after. I believe God desires to take something in your life and then turn around to use it to bring transformation to somebody else's life. Now, don't, don't get twisted by the enemy of your soul and think, that's why God did this. He's sadistic. He made me go through that, so now I'll have a horrible story. No. That's that ugly little scuzz bucket guy called satan he's out to steal kill and destroy he is jesus is the way the truth and the life he brings hope but he will take those scars and use them for glory because he loves he loves you as well as others here's a third one God gives what the world cannot. Now, Paul mentions one of the things in particular at, a very, at the very beginning of this passage in Romans 5. And it, it kind of can just be walked over and not even seen if we don't stop sometimes to look at it. And that's peace. Peace. The Bible says we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ did for us. He stood in our place. Do you know I, I was the one who was supposed to go up on that cross? So were you. But he went there in my place. He took upon himself the penalty of sin. Let, let that sink in for a moment. Let's look at John 20, 21. Again, he said, now this is Jesus. Peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Peace be with you. You know, when you have to share Jesus with somebody else, how many know you, you don't always feel real peaceful? And God won't stop doing the elbow thing. Really, Lord? I'm at a restaurant. Really, Lord? I'm at Walmart. Jesus, can we talk about this when I get in the car? And he's saying, peace I give you. And, and I'm going to send you. Just relax. If it's me, watch what happens. And next thing you know, you go, hey, I've been there. You know what? I'm going to pray for you. Is that all right if I pray for you? What's your name, by the way? See, when you move in that kind of a heartbeat, it's not about you. And it's not about Marvin, but it's about blessing somebody else. And all of a sudden, it's not about you. And peace floods in. And you can share the gospel and see the captive set free. This is why we can have peace because of Jesus. Peace in place of performance. Peace in place of striving. Peace in place of ambition. Peace in place of lust and selfishness. Peace in front of personal gain. Do you have peace in your heart right now? Do you believe, if you're honest, that maybe you think that you need to earn God's love? That you need to be a certain way? I shared with the men yesterday at the men's event as we were doing, like, what did you learn, what, you know, the takeaways and whatnot. And, and I shared, and I'll share it with you, one of the things I've been struggling with this past week, and I I said, God, am I really looking at my relationship between you and me? Do I look at it as, as a servant? Or am I a slave? Not the way he sees it to me, but how I see it. See, a lot of times when it comes to salvation and we're struggling with sin... You know, we can be a slave to sin. Somebody know, I don't need to preach that. We all get that. But do you think that you're a slave to God? You have to do certain things. It's not out of love and relationship, but out of duty. That's not being a child of the king. That's not out of love of I want to do my chores because I'm part of the family and everybody in the family has something to contribute. Instead, it's I'm the slave. I have to read. I have to pray. I have to do life journal. I have to go to church. I have to speak Christianese. I have to. I have to. I have to. Are you a slave? 
Is your Christianity about slave? Today, um, you have an opportunity to take a stand or to solidify your stand with Christ. To figure out whether you're slave or free. A slave or a child of the king. The path to God is no road at all. It is a person. His name is Jesus. And salvation is found in no one else or anything else. Only Jesus. See, no matter what road you're on in your life, even today in this season of your life, we will all face a gate in heaven. We'll all arrive at the same gate. No matter, I don't care if you took a plane, a train, a bus, we're all going to face the same gate. And there's only one who has the key, the only key. His name is Jesus. He's the gatekeeper. Will he let me in? Will he let you in? Well, that's all dependent upon how we handle things here. Jesus decided that you were worth dying for long before you and I were ever even born. And Jesus has offered his amazing grace and mercy. But it must be accepted through faith by each individual. Your family doesn't get to make you safe. Grandma isn't enough. Or grandpa. It's you. Saying, I am a sinner. And I receive all that you did on the cross for me, Jesus. I receive salvation because of what you did. Because of me. And then he writes my name in the Lamb's book of life. Ephesians 2.8 says, God saved. Now, now look how Paul writes here. Catch the word you every time. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this it is a gift from god he's not talking to a group of people he's not talking to the jewish family he's not talking to any other group of people he's talking to you to me individually that was shocking for people at this time in history to hear this kind of speaking, to hear this kind of sermon, to hear anybody talk, it's me? Just me, God and me, what? They had never heard this knowledge before. They had never understood this understanding. Because it took them all the way back to the Garden of Eden where it was just Adam and Eve and they individually had relationship with God. And now God wants to have that same relationship with you. Wow, how special He is.
and how special you must be that he wants that with you. It's the gift of salvation for those who believe. So where do you stand? What's holding you back? What's hindering you? What, what sin is entangling you in your mind? Throw it all off. And run hard after Christ. Who rescued you from sin and death before you were even born. Hebrews 12, let me close with this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. What, 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 what's the author saying? We don't know the author of the book of Hebrews. We, we think it might be a female. That's why we don't know, because females weren't allowed to write. A crowd of witnesses. What, this is all the generals of the faith. We just talked about them in Hebrews 11. We're in chapter 12. And, and all of a sudden, the author says, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses from Abraham and Moses and David, from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, from Esther and Ruth, we're surrounded by all these men and women of the faith who are just people like you and me. Solomon, Samson, and all of his flocks. But surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses. We're all testifying of God. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. That's another word for sin. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now He is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility He endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Let's run together as the family of God. Well, Father, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, we're all here. Whether we're saved and we know that we're saved, or maybe we've slipped back a little bit, and we know it. We know that we know that we're not where we need to be with the Lord. If that's you, you want to make things right with God, you want to know that you know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that sin no longer has a grip on you, that you are set free, for whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That thing, that little darkness that's in your heart that's pricking at you, you go, i, I, I got to make this right. It's not okay. I want to say, forgive me, God, of this little sin in my life, this little secret in my life. 
this thorn that's in my heart? If that's you, would you raise your hand? Would you look at me? Praise God. Yes. 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 Amen. Father, for all those who say, I just want to come before you, Lord. Say this with me. I'll say it in phrases. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Set this captive free. I need you, Jesus. Be the leader of my life, the Savior of my soul. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I love you, Lord. I thank you. Your will, your way, your time. In Jesus' holy name. And Father, I just lift up your church. I breathe hope on them. I pray, Father, you show them you have a hope and a future for them. I pray you grow your church, Lord. No matter what the world looks like, it does not impact you. Father, you do not have a bag of limited gifts in your bag. You have endless and endless supply of miracles. You don't have miracles for everybody else and not us. God, you have miracles for each and every person in this church. I pray, Father, pour out your miracles upon your people. Pour out your love and your grace and your mercy on your people. Grow your church with each and every individual. And in your time, we will see the hand of God move in ways we've never seen before. In your time, in your will, and in your way. We trust you for that. In Jesus' holy name. Bless your church, I pray. Amen and amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.